Thank you so much, the Mike Romero Band, for leading our students this weekend. And thank you to all who've come to help our students in the homes and all the folks who open up their homes to our students. That's no uh, small undertaking. And uh, for your lack of sleep, uh, families, we are grateful for that. Turn your, your Gospel of Mark to chapter 2. We continue our sermon series from uh, the Mark and Gospel, Ultimate Power, Mark chapter 2. Could you imagine a Sunday morning where I approach the pulpit and declare, I hereby forgive every loan that you have. Those monthly, I get an amen on that one. <laughs> Those monthly mortgages, 30 years of tears. Don't worry about them anymore. As of right now, your debts are forgiven. Wiped out, zero balance, nada. You owe nothing. Have you been in car loan captivity? Month after month you pay just so you'll have a way to get to work so that you can pay for the car so you can get to work that cycle of endless enslavement. As of right now, the car loan is paid in full. Pastor, I don't have a mortgage anymore. I drive an old jalopy. Do you have any good news for me? Oh, indeed, my friend. MasterCard, Visa, Discover, Card, American Express, all your balances I do bless. You are debt-free. This is Debt-Free Sunday. And now, by the authority and my word, I hereby declare all church members present in this room right now absolutely, completely debt-free. You're glad you didn't stay home and watch on TV, aren't you? <laughs> Those on TV, you missed it. Early, You look on your iPad tonight, and it still shows a balance on your mortgage, so you can't wait till Monday morning to call up your banker and let him know that you happened to attend a church that yesterday observed debt-free Sunday. It was liberation liturgy, and you want to make sure she knows that she needs to cancel out that balance because you were here and present and accounted for when the declaration was made. Well, the, the banker might say something like this. Well, you better tell Howie that he better get down here with a check <laughs> if he's going to call it all done. My declaring you debt-free, unfortunately, doesn't make it so. My words in regard to your mortgage, your car loan, or your credit card have no authority. I have absolutely no power to release you from your obligations. Someone would say our, our pastor has to be silenced. He's, he's causing confusion here at the bay. I, I actually found on lawqna.com a case of a man who I borrowed money for an RV, and he sent in and said, I want the final payoff amount, and they sent him the payoff amount, and he paid that payoff amount, and they released the lien on the RV, and he was so happy because now he was RV debt-free. And then all of a sudden, the bank called and said, there's been a mistake. Previously, we gave you credit for $386. Someone else had made a payment on their account, 
It was wrongly placed upon your account, and so we need you to come down here with an additional check for $386 to pay off the RV. Now, wait a minute, the man said. I called and asked you, what was the payoff amount? Did you not provide me with the amount? Well, yes, we did. Did I not pay that amount in full? Yes, you did. Did you not release the lien on my RV? Yes, we did. I'm not paying $386, he said. I paid what you told me I owed. And so on law Q&A, he was trying to find a lawyer to give him some advice. And without exception, every single lawyer said, a mistake on the part of the bank does not constitute a payment on your behalf. You owe the $386 pay up. He didn't like it at all, but that's the way it was. Debts are not so easily forgiven. They tend to stay in place. Well, I want you to notice a few things. Look at, look at Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no longer room, even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Now, you remember in our lesson last week that Jesus was in this north seaside city called Capernaum. Matthew calls it his home. And here Mark calls it his home as well in chapter 2, verse 1. They had certainly seen Jesus' power as he had healed all that they brought to him with disease. He had released all the demons of those who were demon-possessed. And so it's no surprise uh, the crowd had gathered before, and now as he comes back, he had healed Peter's, you remember, mother-in-law, and now they are crowded, and the house is full where he's teaching. The courtyard is full. The house is surrounded, and there is no way to get to Jesus. There is no way to find your way to him. Notice what he's preaching to them. It says he's preaching the word to them. Now, that's a, an interesting expression. Have you ever noticed it in Scripture, the Logos? He is preaching the word to them. The word became something of an expression of what missionaries would say when they were preaching about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. To preach the word is to preach the story of Jesus, his crucifixion and his resurrection. Turn over to, to Mark chapter 4 and verse 14. Mark uses it again. Notice what happens in this parable of the sower and the souls. And the sower, 414, and the sower sows, there it is, the logos, the word. The sower sows the word, the story of Jesus. Now back to chapter 2. He sows the word. Or, or you remember in Acts chapter 6, don't turn to all these for time's sake, but in, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles seek seven servants to serve the tables because they want to devote themselves to the Logos, the Word. Or in Galatians 6, 6, Paul admonishes that the one who has taught the Word should share in the good things of him who teaches. And maybe Paul describes it best in Colossians 4 when he says, God opened up to us a door for the Word so we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. 
The Word is the mystery of the power of Christ. Now, you can look on the web tomorrow and get all these uh, citations if you want them, but sometimes it's called the Word, but in other places, like Acts 8, it's called the Word of the Lord. The Word, this preaching, this logos, concerns Jesus. It is the Word of the Lord. Or other places, Luke 5, is called the Word of God. This Word pertains to Jesus, but also to the Father. Other places, Matthew 13, it is the word of the kingdom. It, it involves the reign and the rule of God. The kingdom of God has arrived. And then 1 Corinthians 1, it is the word of the cross. The word of the cross. So this logos, this word, involves the story of Jesus, is empowered by God, it announces the arrival of the kingdom, and it is featured in the cross. The word of the cross, or Philippians 2, it is the word of life. It is the word of the cross, and the cross leads to life. It is the word of life. So the proclamation of the message of Jesus is the word. The kingdom has arrived. Put plainly, God is at work in the person of Jesus, especially in his crucifixion and resurrection in such a way that God is redeeming or reconciling humankind to himself. That is the only word that matters. They are preaching. Jesus in Capernaum specifically is preaching the word, the good news of the message to them. There's a second thing I want you to see, not only preaching the word in verses 1 and 2, but in verses 3 and 4, removing the roof, removing the roof. Look at 3 and 4. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Now... Whenever we have a, a guest preacher, a guest pulpiteer, one of our deacon's wives who likes to tease more than she likes to please will tell me the next Sunday, oh, you should have been here. We had to get chairs out. You weren't here preaching, and we had to get chairs out. It was incredible. Man, we packed the pews. You weren't here. We had to get chairs out, and we packed the pews. Well, like our guest pulpiteers apparently always do when I'm gone, Jesus filled the house, and he filled beyond the house. He filled the courtyard. He filled the streets. They were crowded all around. There was standing room only, and then no room at all. They had to get out the chairs. Now, they have the paralytic carrying him on his mat, I imagine in my mind that each one of the four friends has a corner of the mat, and they are carrying him in faith. They are determined they're going to get their friend to Jesus. They are determined that they're going to get their friend to Jesus. There's no way in the door. There is no way in the window. They go up on the roof, and they find a way to Jesus. I've always kind of imagined it this way. Jesus is in there teaching, and 
all of a sudden he hears this thud and, and then there's the mud that begins to fall and there's the debris and kind of like a, a, a light beam just burst into the room and light comes through the roof and the dust, you see it falling and people begin to cough and all of a sudden they wonder what's taking place and down comes the mat with a man who can't walk. I want you to notice he's carried by his friends. And then I want you to notice that Jesus, look at verse 5, Jesus sees their faith. It doesn't say that Jesus sees his faith. Jesus sees the faith not only of the man, but also the four friends. You know, the reality is the only way in healthy fashion we can express our faith is in community. And that's why disciple now is so important this weekend. You cannot live for Christ alone at your middle school or high school. The only way that you'll be able to, to take a stand for Christ and say, He's my Lord and He's my Savior and I'll be obedient to His commandments, the only way you can do that is if your friends carry you. You'll need a friend on each corner of the mat. And the only way you'll ever get someone to Christ is if they are carried, let down by her friend, by his friend. I'm not telling this group anything. The pressures are so strong to go the way of the world and the way of demonic powers and do ungodly things that the only way that we can possibly stand is if we stand as faithful friends with each other. Jesus doesn't see just his faith. Jesus sees, plural, their faith. Jesus sees their faith, and Jesus heals the man. Jesus heals the man. Now, roofs in those days were made of simple beams, and then there were reeds and branches, and then there was mud, and they were changed out every year. And so it, it wasn't a, a huge financial damage to the, to the household owner. They, they cut it, and then it could easily be repaired. And then there's a final thing I want you to see, forgiving of sins. Jesus saw their faith. Look at verse 5. And seeing their faith, he said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Well, there were some scribes. They were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Notice this, very important. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus. You know, the reality is Jesus always knows what's in our heart. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, they weren't saying it out loud, Jesus knew what was within them. He said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And immediately he, he took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all. 
And they were amazed and they were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. The man comes down, Jesus sees the faith of the four friends, and Jesus, seeing their faith, says, your sins are forgiven you. Immediately, the, the scribes and the Pharisees are bothered. Like, I didn't have the authority to cancel your mortgage a moment ago. I tried. I gave it my best shot. But I bet when you go home, the balance is still, still there. Like, I don't have the authority to cancel your mortgage. Man does not have the authority to forgive sin. The psalmist tells us that all of our sin is against you and you alone, O oh God, if I sin. Psalm 51, only God, every Jew knew that only God had the authority and the power to say, you are forgiven. And so, when Jesus says, you're forgiven, that's blasphemy. Do you remember at the trial of Jesus before he's crucified? They accuse him of blasphemy. And the book of Leviticus, what happens is when, we're when we blaspheme, we are to be killed. It is a, a capital offense. Why are you speaking this way? Only God can forgive sins. Now, if Jesus wasn't claiming to be God, like some folks say he wasn't claiming to be God, he could have said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to act like God. I don't have any power over sin. I didn't mean it that way. I just wanted the guy to walk. But he didn't. He said, why are you thinking I don't have the power to forgive sins? Notice what he says. Verse 10. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, Take up your pallet and walk. Now, he asked for a moment, which is easier to say, take up your pallet and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven? It's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven because I could say this morning all of your sins are forgiven, and you can't measure that, can you? But if a man can't walk, and Jesus says, arise and walk, that's harder to say because you can measure whether or not he's the Messiah by the results of the command, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk, but that you may know. I say, take up your pallet, take up your pallet and walk. Now, what about this connection between sin and sickness? In John chapter 9, there's a man who is born blind and the Pharisees are perplexed they thought that everyone who had an infirmity, a sickness, that that sickness was a result of sin. And so when the man is born blind, they say, now how did that happen? Did he sin in the womb? Was it the fault of his father? How is it? And Jesus said, well, no, all sickness is not related to sin. All sickness is not related to sin. On the other hand, there is this complex relationship between sin and sickness, and modern medicine is treating us 
like a mechanic treats an automobile, aren't they? You, you take your car to the mechanic these days, he puts in a computer, and the computer in your car talks to his computer, and they do something called diagnostics, and there's a report, and the report tells your mechanic what part is wrong, and then he simply replaces or repairs that part. And unfortunately, modern medicine is going that way where we just run a battery of tests. And as a result of those tests, we find out what part is wrong. And if we simply can repair or replace that part, then all is well, they think. John Young writes, the gospel is declaring that healing is more complex than that. Healing involves our relationship with our God. And healing involves our relationship with ourself. And healing involves our relationship with other people. And healing involves our relationship with our environment. You see, there's a paralyzing weight of sin that does destroy our health. It won't show up on a CAT scan and you can't see it as a, as a blood test results. And yet it is as destructive as any disease within our bodies. We are complex characters and our bodies and our mind and our soul are all interwoven in a way that we're not like an automobile at all. We are a complex creation of God and our sin and our sickness and, well, it's all related in some way, isn't it? Jesus sees it that way, not that all sickness is punishment for sin, but that the two were related, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Isn't that really what we all want to hear Jesus say? In your heart, isn't that what you long for from him? I mean, of all the things that Jesus might ever say to me, that's the line I want to hear. That'd be the first sentence. Your sins are forgiven. The Son of Man has the power of God because He is God. To say, your sins are forgiven. That's the logos. That's the word. That's the seed that is sown. That Jesus Christ has the power of God to forgive sins. And he has that power because he was willing and he will be willing to die on the cross. And the power of God, he is resurrected again. So that you may know, the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. I say, arise and walk. Isaiah says, the Lord is our King. He will save us. And no resident of Jerusalem will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven. No one in the kingdom of God will say, I'm sick. Why? Because the people who dwell there 
will be forgiven. I want you to see how it ends in verse 12. The word doxa. What did we sing this morning? We sang it in two different styles. We sang the doxology, which is a word of praise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's what they did. And he arose and immediately took up his pallet and went out in the sight of all. And they were amazed and they were doxa. They were praising God. They were glorifying God. It's the word for doxology. They were praising that this one that they had seen unable to walk was now able to leap and to run. They end, fourthly, praising God in verse 12. Ultimate power. I have no authority to cancel out your loans. Sorry. That's the bad news. But the better news is Jesus has all authority to cancel out your sins so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say unto him, get up, take your pallet, and go. Maybe you're here this morning and you long for that forgiveness. Maybe you went to D-Now this weekend. I'll ask Bradley to be here at the front and Maybe you want to come and speak with Bradley or speak to me, and this is a time of recommitment for you. Maybe this is a good morning to remember, students, that our faith is always done in community. Jesus saw their faith. And your high school may see your faith, but it's more likely to see the faith of your friends as well. Let us pray. Oh, God, maybe there's someone watching by way of television this morning, or maybe there's someone in this sanctuary, maybe these students who spent all weekend focusing on doing something, the present kingdom of God. Maybe this is her time to come and to pray. Maybe the, it's time for others in this congregation to receive the authority of the forgiveness of Jesus by receiving the word, the word of the Lord that Jesus is crucified and raised. Maybe there are others who come this morning to identify with this church family to say, this will be my place. This will be my church home. In the name of Jesus, we pray.